you. What about this one for my nephew? A superb choice. Oh, great. Yeah, provided he has already read Infinite Crisis and 52 and is familiar with the reestablishment of the DC multiverse. Who am I? Cypher? The gayest X-Man? I recently read this novel called Watchmen. I've never read a comic book like this. I used to read Betty comics, but that's it. I've never read, like, real, real comic books. This worked my out. Excellent! Hello, hello, hello. This is, well, actually, let me redo that, I guess. Ho, ho, ho. This is Chris and Eric's Songbox Adventure. I'm Chris. And I am Eric. And you have picked something seasonal and festive for us this week, haven't you? Yes, this week we read Klaus or possibly Claus. I'm not sure which it's supposed to be. Whenever I see it with the K, I always want to say Klaus, but this is literally about Santa Claus. So, who knows? But yes, this is by uh, Grant Morrison and Dan Mora, and the elevator pitch for it was, what if Santa Claus was a superhero? You specifically used the phrase when texting me about it of New 52 Santa Claus. Yeah, this is this is Superman. Uh, yeah, this is Santa Claus funneled through like a weird mixture of New Fifty Two Superman that Morrison did, and like New Fifty Two Wonder Woman. Part of that is just like yeah, Santa's like more magic, at least in aesthetic, like Wonder Woman is compared to someone like Superman who has a sci-fi aesthetic. But part of that's also like Santa has a sword. Santa, like, beats the shit out of people in a way that I think if you were just doing superhero Santa wouldn't be the focus. He's also specifically, and we may or may not get more into just, like, design elements later, but this is also specifically Santa Claus with a physical build that is your typical superhero, which is to say big and buff. This is not at all the immediate come to mind image of Santa is just being fat. It It's Santa as played by Henry Cavill. Yeah. Not to keep drawing Superman references, but I think there's a, actually like a lot here because a lot of this book to me feels like Morrison following up on ideas from the action comics run with Superman. I suppose let's just quickly summarize it because I think to this, because there's A, so much of it, and B, it's kind of got that decompressed, um, more like, well, New 52 style storytelling going on. I think we're best off if we just sort of loosely summarize the plot and then we just talk about shit we think is interesting. We open in a town called Grimsvig, which, what a name <laughs> to try and immediately describe this town. And uh, basically, this man wanders into town. It's clear he's been here before, but he's in, like kind of cagey about when. And the town has clearly gone downhill since he was last there. They have a a little mini dictator. Um, you know, everyone's down working in coal mines. None of the children are allowed to have toys. Uh, and like it's it's Yuletide, which is like it's Christmas. <laughs> Aesthetically, it's just Christmas. And, you know, they're not allowed to celebrate it. Uh, so this man gets upset with the, like, gods of the place because they're attacking a child who's, you know, just, like, playing around with a rock because that's the closest thing he can find to a toy. Um, but he, he gets out of town with the help of his wolf and summons the spirits of the forest who are... um. They kind of look like floating, glowing aliens. Some psychedelic shit happens, and he wakes up the next morning, and he has somehow feverishly assembled, like, a small army of toys. And then over the next few issues, basically we start getting sort of more and more, like, Santa Claus iconography. Like, he starts delivering the toys to the children in the town, and spreading them around, and, like as the streets sort of get too filled with guards and their guard dogs and stuff for him to use them, he's like, oh, how am I going to deliver all these toys to the children? And he looks out and he sees all the chimneys over all the rooftops. 
Uh, meanwhile, we get his backstory where basically um, he was one of the lead like guards in this town back under the old like ruler. But then um, Grima Wormtongue from Lord of the Rings poisoned the ruler and claimed that it was Klaus or Claus, still not sure which, and gets him banished. Meanwhile, Claus's like sort of girlfriend winds up married and having a kid with uh no, I gotta remember these people's names. The Baron. It doesn't matter. He he's he's evil. He weds a hood and has like a long pale face and looks is evil as shit. Magnus, I think. Magnus, thank you. Um, and so Magnus has all of the men of the town down in the coal mines because there's some kind of entity in the coal mines that he's trying to free. So after a while, despite, like... So Claus is... For this first chunk of the story, Claus is clearly... After, like, the weird psychedelic stuff, he's clearly, like, a bit better than normal humans. Like, he endures some shit where you're just like, okay, this guy's really tough. Like, he might be a little superhuman. But he winds up getting tricked and poisoned and a young boy from the town who's the boy who we saved or attempted to save from the guards earlier rescues him and takes him out into the woods where they're then tricked followed and the boy is kidnapped and claws is like strapped down onto some a frozen lake and left for dead meanwhile the like coal mining's done and the demons freed and the demon's never named, but it's very clearly just the Krampus. Like, it, it looks exactly like how the Krampus is supposed to look, so it's it's the Krampus. We have uh, the, the, like, spirits of the forest come again to Claws and, like, do something more, like, weird magic. Sort of, again, sci-fi and aesthetics. There's a lot of, like, geometric shapes that are brought in here is part of the psychedelic sequence and it's it feels more like 2001 a space odyssey than it does um like your normal encounter with fey folk and then basically the comic ends with claws coming back and now he's got like a sled and it's pulled by oh yeah he's got a wolf best friend a big white wolf best friend and um now he's got like a sled pulled by all these white wolves and the sled is like it's sort of a weird sci-fi sled. I think it looks really rad. And he fights and destroys the Krampus. He's also now clearly immortal. Like, the Baron Magnus stabs him in the back. And, like, it's very much like, a, oh, yeah, this would kill anyone kind of thing. But then Claus, just a couple of pages later, is just like, oh, yeah, no, I'm fine again. And we actually see that, like, the wound is completely healed. Like, we can see where his shirt was damaged. But yeah, he kills the shit at the Krampus and then lives in the town and, like, he's immortal now. And so we see, like, there's a really great two-page spread of panels where he's dancing in the town at, like, the celebration every year for the Yuletide and everyone else is getting older and he is staying exactly the same as he's dancing with, like, his ex-girlfriend who was married to the Baron who's now clearly gotten with him. And at the end, he leaves but promises to come back every year to bring children toys at Yuletide. And, like, flies off into space. It's a very, like, Superman flying off into space and winking at the camera kind of ending. But that's Claws, or possibly Klaus, in a nutshell. Yeah. Yeah, that that's New 52 Santa Claus. Yeah, it, it reads very much to me. It's not Actually, Santa Claus is a superhero. It's the gritty reboot of Santa Claus as a superhero. And even more so, it's Robin Hood. Yeah. Like, he's bringing toys to the children, but, like, it's all about, you know, we have the evil guy in charge of the town that he used to be an important figure, that this main character used to be an important figure in, but now he's in exile and he's coming back and he's working as an outlaw against the system that's now controlling the town. He has, you know, this personal relationship with a woman who's high up in this system of government, but has no ability to prevent 
the um the like crimes against humanity essentially that are happening it, like uh Dagmar is literally just Lady Marian Lady Marian from like Robin Hood it's it's a Robin Hood riff which is a very weird choice for Santa Claus but I kind of dig it I was gonna say I got the impression that you didn't like it, so why don't we just dig into the stuff you didn't like? Because I, I just find this comics interesting. Um, I prefer the four follow-ups that they did that are much closer to, um, doing like Silver Age Superman stories, but with Santa Claus iconography than this is. But like, this is the first one, and. I don't think the others make as much sense without this little bit of context provided by this. So let's just like talk about it, I guess. So yeah, what 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 didn't you like? I hated this, honestly. There's a lot I didn't like. I guess the nice prefix to everything else that I'm sure will come up over and over again is that Dan Mora is a talented artist and I think he's doing his best with what he has to work with here but I guess to go back to start off of just sort of the whole conceit of like New 52 Santa Claus and specifically what you said of like this is the gritty reboot you know it's like I agree with you but I'm not fully sure what I'm supposed to be getting out of this book tonally because just that concept itself, you know, it sounds like it would be satire. Because just like the idea of gritty pseudo superhero Santa Claus, you know, it sounds like a joke. But the actual execution of it still feels just so played straight. You know, the at most, it would be like subtle satire but on the whole it really doesn't even read as that to me it's not satire i it morrison is doing it seriously i think yeah which is just just feels really strange to me and you know i'm gonna try and talk about this in a way of just like i don't know acknowledging my own biases and my own tastes or whatever as just, you know, being that and not being facts or whatever. But I suppose the end all of it, and like, I'll have stuff to say about specific details or whatever, but just like the end all of it is just that this sort of combination of tone and subject matter, like the choice to approach it from this angle, simply doesn't interest me, you know? And... A lot of my more specific critiques with regards to individual characters like Dagmar and the evil baron of the village, etc., etc., is that it's archetypal in a way that feels just like flat and not charming, you know, which Santa Claus an archetype, you know, like doing a story with these sorts of folkloric bases for what it's doing, that it's drawing upon, you know, it makes sense that it's tropey. Of course, it's going to be tropey, you know, and that's not a bad thing in and of itself. You know, tropes just simply are concepts and fiction, you know, that's fine. But yeah, for me personally, I just don't find much of what this does to feel fresh or interesting, you know? And I'm not trying to sound like, oh, you need to reinvent the wheel because that's not what I'm saying. But even if we're just sort of playing it straight of here are just sort of like the basic morals of Santa Claus slash Robin Hood played mostly pretty straight through like an action hero bent i suppose there's just not really enough that feels charming or otherwise i guess innovative or otherwise interesting to me in a way that really hooks me because really 
the best thing I can say about it is that Dan Mora, you know, is a skilled artist. And I'm sure we'll talk about plenty of like pages and stuff in terms of like composition, artistic skill for rendering space, leading the eye around, et cetera, et cetera. I think this would be a much weaker book with a worse artist. So, you know, I think it could be certainly worse. And there are, you know, just legitimately nice, effective images, you know, well done visual storytelling. There's almost no clarity issues. I think he's especially good in some panels and two-page spreads in terms of just like using really interesting angles to sort of depict the action from and there are at times some more sort of like unexpected choices in how like images are delivered in terms of perspective and things like that but when it comes to just like the narrative and the strength of the characters I just don't actually find the story compelling because it just sort of is such a base central idea that a lot, I think, of what would make it work or not just really would hinge on the execution. And I just don't think that there is much compelling done with the actual characters or sort of the lens with regards to say, just like the social inequality of the town or just, I feel like I don't really have anything to sink my teeth into. Does that make sense? That actually makes perfect sense. I'm going to follow up with another question. Do you like the movie Batman Begins? I liked it when I saw it in theaters, but I haven't seen it since either it was in theaters or shortly thereafter. So we are talking about, like, middle school me. So I haven't revisited as an adult. So I guess I don't really know. So as someone who loves Morrison's Batman run, I've read a lot of interviews they've done for that. I can't find that many interviews about Klaus. Um, but one thing they talk about is, and, and you get the impression that they're kind of obsessed with the movie Batman Begins, at least in terms of the way it handles like batman symbols and iconography and like the way that movie does it is it gives a reason for everything because because nolan was so obsessed with you know the realism and verisimilitude of this superhero story so like batman can't just dress up like a bat we have to explain why he's dressed like a bat and we have to explain you know where the outfit comes from where the car comes from uh, they need to have like logical, sensible explanations. His whole tactics um, and the way he goes about superheroing needs to be explained. And this is kind of the Santa Claus version of that. Like the bit I said earlier about where he's, you know, he's not able to get around on the street safely anymore. And he's like, oh, how do I deliver these toys then? And we have that double page spread of him looking out at the town and we see that every house has a bloody chimney on it. Um, the fact that the guards of the town that he used to be part of um, wear red and white and there's like scenes where he's talking to them and is like, I will make the red and white matter again, like stand for, you know, truth and justice and what it's supposed to stand for again. The like sort of slow development of the things that we just sort of read as like Santa Claus things, except for the actual image of the jolly old fat guy, this being like young buff Santa who having read the four specials, or actually I think I've only read two of them. Having read the specials they did after this together, he's still like basically this design, which is my main criticism of those specials is I'm like, you couldn't at least have his hair go white? You know, because, like, you could argue... I think, like, the Jolly Fat Santa is more from, like, Coca-Cola cartoons. Like, that's not the original, like, visual of Saint Nick and where the figure originally comes from. So you could maybe justify him not, like, having the same body type that Santa does and 
then of course the superhero thing has its own complicated history with what kind of bodies we're allowed to see in in these sorts of narratives but uh yeah they never even have his hair go white which is a bit of a disappointment i think it is worth noting yeah the whole like saint nick sort of historical aspect to because another thing i guess i should just know up front is i am not a folklorist and yeah just i am not a folklorist i don't feel like i really know much historically in terms of just like i guess just the literal history of santa claus you know it's like i'm vaguely aware that certain ideas are older than like you said the coca-cola sort of advertisement aspect of it that we're really familiar with now but I either might just like not recognize some references throughout or not understand a way in which some things might be a twist or something but that sort of ties directly to one of my main questions which is why the wolf or the wolves once we get the whole horde of them why the wolves and not the reindeer like do you know if there's any like folkloric basis for that that i'm just not familiar with so i read lila the like main wolf he has as being a riff on crypto Especially since the New 52 version of Crypto is also a big, more, like, threatening wolf-looking dog. Who basically has the exact same design that Lila does here. Uh, and then I guess the reason that it's the dogs pulling the sleigh is because we haven't had any reindeer imagery established. I suppose. I will say on the folklore thing, um, we know where Santa Claus comes from because there was an actual like christian bishop in the fourth century called nicholas who was sainted and then december 6th for a long time was saint nick's night and you would give out presents then and just that historically shifted into saint nicholas who shifted into santa claus and it all got put onto christmas because that's you know three weeks two weeks later less than two weeks later what am i saying the 6th to the 25th 26th um so like in terms of references this is actually really weird because he should be called nick <laughs> he should be called nicholas yeah this isn't pulling from the like this is pulling from a mixture of iconography more than it's pulling from like the actual history of the folklore like it's more looking at the stuff that sort of got mixed in with saint nicholas than at St. Nicholas. Which also sort of makes sense of the just like Robin Hood feel of it. And, you know, I suppose to some extent also just like makes sense with regards to, I don't know, I guess just like the folklore and pop culture sort of changing over time and interweaving, you know, of like what you just said of just like, oh, there is a St. Nicholas and then there's all this stuff and then it gets moved to Christmas and then just being sort of morphing with time. Yeah, there's a lot of pagan stuff in Santa Claus and like like the red and white is, I think from um, Sinterklaas which is like the Dutch version is where that originates from. But, like, the name Father Christmas is, like, an English thing. Like, it's... What we have for Santa Claus now is a bunch of different things being combined together. Like, um, the long white beard is probably from Odin, the Norse god. And I mean, Christmas being in winter in the first place is just because everyone celebrated the winter solstice because that's half, that's the darkest bit of the year. So you do a celebration then because you're halfway through the winter. Um, and so sort of all these, like the tree, oddly enough, uh, Jesus who lived in the Middle East 
uh, had absolutely nothing to do with a uh, pine tree. <laughs> you know, the tree the tree comes from like pagan traditions from Europe prior to Christianity, and all these things just sort of morph together and do like. I'm pretty. I don't know where the cramp. I know the Krampus is. Um, like a Swiss thing, I think. Like, I think Krampus is from the same stuff that Sinterklaas is from. I don't know the origins of the Krampus. But, like, again, it. I don't... The Krampus probably didn't originate at the same... Like, the idea that the Krampus is would be, like, some kind of representation of a real figure the way St. Nicholas is, you know, that, that doesn't make any sense. So, like, that's come from somewhere else. That's... Certainly, the like hooves that it has, it feels like Pan to me. Like off the top of my head, I'm like, this is some kind of corruption of the Greek god Pan, who is probably a corruption of some other people's gods, based on stuff I've heard about that. Like, there's so this is just sort of riffing on all that stuff. Like, of course, the first villain Santa Claus fights is the Krampus. You know, because that's what we know now, and that's what it's more ripping off of is like, what do people think of as Christmassy and as Santa Claus now? And then doing this whole like action hero, superhero riff on it. The uh the superhero stuff is like so in the in the specials, the four specials that they did yearly after this series came out, he's far more like Superman. Like, he's got, you know, the North Pole is his fortress of solitude. He's got a trophy room. There's, like, a bunch of different versions of him who all look a bit different and look like different sort of visuals of Santa Claus. So, like, the Santa Claus as a superhero, in my opinion, doesn't work properly until they actually start riffing on, like, Santa Claus's Batcave. Things like that. Do they, like, do more of that in the, like, sequel specials? Yeah, well, they're all set in the present day. So it's like, now he's had years and years of adventures and has built up, like, a rogues gallery and all the sort of things that I think of when I think of superheroes, which is, I guess, sort of later game stuff. Like, this is the the Batman year one of Superman where we're stripping... Of Santa Claus, sorry. Where we're stripping out, like, everything basically okay um i don't know why they did it this way because i i i the specials are we we will probably cover special the specials at some point like maybe next year we'll do one of the specials because i I, a i think you'll like it more and b i think it's more of an opportunity for dan mora to draw because dan mora is fucking great like everything here looks so good like I'm going to criticize the Krampus in this. Uh, I don't get the Krampus in this. I don't get its motivation. Like, it's got some kind of thing where it really doesn't like children and thinks they're all bad. And it wants to do something to these children. But it's never made clear what it even wants to do. I'm like, what do you want? Do you want to eat them? Like, it it has got Jonas, uh, the, the little kid, Dagmar's son with uh, Magnus in its hand for like four or five pages and is just holding him. I'm like, are you taking him somewhere? What are you doing with this child? Just do it. Make it clear. What's your motivation? My impression was that the literal was just like, oh, it's going to eat them, but oh, there's just, you know, a sort of sinister little aura to it of like you know sort of being evocative of other sorts of danger to the children like sort of the way of just like you know like a veiled idea in a fairy tale or whatever but with regards to the later specials from what you're saying they sound more interesting to me than this does in terms of just like the idea of just, like, the rogues gallery alone feels more sort of, like, committing, you know, like, committing even further to the idea of, like, Santa Claus as Superman, you know, versus the sort of origin point. But I guess 
real quick before we dive fully into Krampus, can I just add on one more thing about the wolves and reindeer? Sure. In the hoopla like PDF version, this looks like pages 25 and 26. There's a two-page spread where we get like Klaus and his main wolf friend just like taking down this reindeer in the wilderness, presumably like to eat or whatever since they're surviving on their own in the cold winter wilderness. And it's like sort of juxtaposed with these panels in the corner of like what's going on in the city at the time. But for what I'm interested in, it's really just like the reindeer aspect that's relevant. But I guess two things. A, this again is another moment where I was like, am I supposed to read this as satire in terms of just like, oh, here's Klaus and his wolf, you know, literally slaughtering what I would think of as the more traditional Christmas imagery beast. But we've already talked about just like how much this book just feels played straight. But this like one single image makes me like, I wish we got the reindeer because this thing is fearsome as hell. And again, maybe this is just my own bias because I love an antlered beast and I think it looks fucking fearsome. And I'm just like looking at this one image of one, like, you know, clearly Dan Mora knows how to draw them. I think this could have fit perfectly in terms of just like the grim, gritty reboot aesthetically of Santa Claus, you know, but what you made sense of just like this wolf as an extension of crypto also makes sense, but. I just love anything with antlers. I just wish we had reindeer. That's one of my main personal cons here is just the idea of reindeer is way too central to my idea of Santa Claus for me to want to part with it. But, you know, we've said everything already of just like the mixture of various ideas coming in wherever. So I guess it's not actually essential and it's just me, but... Yeah. Doesn't this reindeer look terrifying? I I am, like, picturing this reindeer with a glowing red nose being his best friend, and I'm like, that is better, though. As much as I am, like, on my end, just like, yeah, I mean, I love that he's got a crypto. Like, the crypto doesn't have to be a white dog. <laughs> the crypto could just be, like, this monster reindeer. Or, I mean, if you want to be accurate, like, Rudolph is a really recent figure, so I guess you would go with one of the other reindeer. It would be Blitzer. I think Blitzer is the best name for, like, the scary one, who's the first one that he hangs out with. That makes sense, yeah. I don't know where the reindeer come from in the first place, to be honest. They wanted to fully even, like, commit to the whole red nose and I feel like it would even be easy to just be like here's the scary beast with his blood red nose of the literal blood from him smashing up against shit you know for the new 52 Santa <laughs> who drew the the Wonder Woman because I feel like Mora's art style isn't that different from the style of um whoever drew new 52 Wonder Woman but I can't remember his name off the top of my head Cliff Chang, I think. Yeah, yeah, like, more reminds me of him, and he reminds me of um, Francis Manipal. Yeah. Who was also a, a big early New 52 artist. Like, I, I do feel like this is kind of, this is, this is, to me, this really does feel like Morrison trying to do superheroes after having been immersed in the New 52 for a little too long. Okay, let's dive into the Krampus. What did you... Yeah think of this thing so i suppose i like aspects of the idea more than i like the actual execution you know just sort of 
going back to what I said earlier of just like there being a lot of aspects here that are tropey, which, you know, is neutral, is not actually inherently bad, but that lack a sort of uniqueness or flair or just, I guess, just successful execution enough to interest me. And with regard to Krampus, the whole aspect of him being buried and him like reaching out telepathically to corrupt the lord of the town you know just felt kind of tired like i've seen it before and like i feel like there's more so ideas that are technically present in the narrative more so than actually dived into in interesting ways with regards to any of the stuff about just like how the populace is horribly treated, any of the stuff of just like human greed, et cetera, et cetera. And in terms of Krampus himself, I do like the visual. And again, I specifically love horns, you know, antlers, horns. I love some freaky, like natural head protrusions you know he has as Mora draws him these freakishly bulging eyes that feel like too big for his head in a way that I really like he honestly has a very venom tongue too you know like I like the way that a lot of specific proportions just feel like too big for what would make sense on this animal in a more sort of realistic bent you know like I like how just freakish and horror it looks and you know it makes sense for this fantasy beast I think my main gripe visually though is that I do think he still looks a bit too human because like all that stuff I said about proportion is mainly in regards to the features of his head, whereas the rest of his body is very much just a dude with some fur. And I wish we got just like more freakish proportion, more weird texture with fur and such, because in a lot of ways in certain shots, Outside of, like, the head shape, he almost looks like the whole Krampus thing could be a costume that a person was wearing. Because, like, just, like, the proportion of the legs to the torso, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, feels, I suppose, more human than I would like. Which, you know, I guess is also just sort of true to whatever elements of folklore of just like you know like Santa him kind of still just being a guy but what did you think so I like the design well enough um it's very like classic Krampus but sort of exaggerated to the sort of comic book thing like making him you know 10 feet tall or whatever it is with those horns it's more than that but um I agree I wish the body was furrier in terms of the design, that's, like, my main thing. I'm, like, the fur on the top looks so good. I'm, like, just make him more hairy. Narratively, I'm sort of mixed on the Krampus. I I find the whole voice in the coal mine intriguing. It feels very, like... So, there's this trope that Stephen King does all the time. So, I always refer to it as very Stephen King. But the thing where there's the small town that, as it turns out, has always just been sat above this horrible eldritch creature in the basement. You know, that's, I, I mean, the most obvious one is It. You know, It and Derry are basically one and the same because It's just lived under this town for so long. I mean, they built the town on top of It. It has been around since, like, before the dinosaurs went extinct. Um, in the book, at least. And, like, that approach to the Krampus, though, feels a little odd to me. Like, the tradition with the Krampus is they are... Well, A, 
uh, in the original sort of tradition, they work together. Like the Krampus works for Saint Nick. And the idea is that Saint Nick rewards the good behaved children and the Krampus punishes the badly behaved children. But, you know, the way this sort of uh, has evolved in, like, general pop culture, and if you're not looking at the, like, original uh, celebrations, is that, like, they're kind of arch enemies, where, like, Saint Nick wants to, like, be nice to children, bring you toys, and then uh, the Krampus wants to punish children and drag you into hell. And I wish there was more of that. Like, my... There's not enough with the kids, for the finale to revolve so much around an antagonist who wants to attack children, I weirdly feel as though Santa is a little too concerned with the social inequality and not enough with, like, are children good? I don't think there's enough parallels between the Krampus and Claws to make that aspect of the story land. I do think the Krampus is a much necessary, like, third act sort of stakes increaser, because otherwise him showing up with his magical sled and all of his dogs and stuff, and, like, fully amped and powered up by, like, whatever sort of weird alien magic thing is happening to him, like, that wouldn't be justified within the narrative if it weren't for having the big demon showing up. But, like, yeah, I, I I almost am sort of like the Robin Hood stuff is an interesting approach to take with Santa Claus, but then I feel like the final villain needs to reflect that if we're going to spend so much time on it and not as much time on Santa and children. Like, it's made pretty clear, like, the initial justification for the oh no one's allowed toys is because baron magnus is like lying both to his child and to like the city about how his son is ill and can't go out anywhere and can't see other children and so these toys that are generously donated are all he has but you know it's all actually just secretly stuff he's doing for the demon and i'm like i think jonas should actually have been a um a Joffrey. What if instead of all of the plot of this, I'm like, if you're doing the Krampus, isn't the moral like dilemma? Santa believes children can or are inherently good, and any like bad children, it's because they're being taught bad things. And the Krampus is like children are bad, and isn't the biggest challenge to that like there's a Joffrey, and Santa has to go. Do you know wait, do you know who Joffrey is? No, I don't. Okay, so Game of Thrones, Joffrey is um like the little kid who becomes king who is an absolute piece of shit. He's awful. He's the worst. He just loves like it, it's it's the the sort of the ultimate critique of like inherited rule is when someone is raised being told they're better than everyone else. And everyone has to listen to everything they say. This kid has no, like, impulse control and also psychopathic tendencies. So he just goes around, you know, forcing people to do humiliating things. He takes, like, one of the knights and is like, actually, you're going to be my jester now. And forces him to wear, like, you know, bells and all that shit and dance around for him. Or he'll kill him. You know, when the people are having are revolting because there's, like, not enough food, Joffrey's like, well, just kill them. This actual child being poisoned and dying horribly over the course of, like, several minutes is one of the most joyous moments in the fourth season of that show because that is how unpleasant this child has been. It feels like that's maybe the initial setup with Jonas where he is that kind of character. But he actually isn't, and it's made pretty clear well before the Krampus actually shows up that Jonas is just, like, got a really shitty dad. But then we get flashbacks to Magnus as a kid, and Magnus is a little creep as a kid. And I'm just like, okay, I I, I wish the story focused more on that. Because that, to me, is sort of the core of Santa as a character, is Santa brings children gifts. 
And while that's obviously a large part of this narrative, the villain isn't actually concerned with bringing, with like, Magnus's goal in getting rid of the gifts is to make everyone miserable because it powers the demon and not actual opinions about children. And so if you're, you know, I, I would I would say that most typical superhero narratives are taking a two opposite moral stances and then they punch each other and the one you're supposed to like wins the punch fight. That's most superhero comics in like the most basic nutshell. And I'm like, for Santa, if Santa's a superhero and is punching someone, he should be punching someone who thinks children are bad. And the Krampus does in this, but it doesn't feel connected to the rest of the story. To me. If you can't tell, my liking of this is mostly the art, and then the rest of it I think is, like, fine. Yeah, I think you made a bunch of points that relate to my issues with it as well. Like, yeah, just like the idea of Santa and Krampus being more linked characters, you know, A, you want your protagonist and your villain to be more linked, whether in terms of, like, actual backstory or as foils or in whatever way, you know, you want that sort of character interaction to be more interesting, so the reduction of Krampus to just sort of a generically evil beast that's not really connected to Santa other than just like the thing that he happens to have to punch is a strange choice. And yeah, everything in terms of just like the questions of like morality of children, etc. You know, that sort of are at the crux of the idea of Santa giving presents yeah, aren't really here, like, even though the whole, like, Santa giving gifts is, like, narratively present here, it's not really dived into thematically in a way that actually feels like the story is interested in it, or just addressing any of those moral ideas, which I think is to this book's detriment, is it too soon to transition to talking about Dogmar? Did you or Dagmar? Did you want to say anything more on Krampus before we shift to the wife character? No, I mean my take on Krampus is just I like the design. I like having that third act escalation. I wish that the narrative held together more as a through line with it being about kids, if that's what the Krampus is going to be concerned with. So, yeah. yeah. With regards to Dagmar, the former childhood friend of Klaus slash wife of Lord Magnus slash wife of Santa Claus once the story is over, and we just sort of do a speedy montage of their happy life together before she dies. And Klaus then just leaves the town to be Santa Claus. Her character is possibly my least favorite aspect of this entire book. Because with regards to what I've mentioned about just like tropes and them being used very flatly. There are very few tropes in fiction that I hate more than when you have a male protagonist and a male antagonist, and then a woman who is between them, who, to some degree or another, likes the good guy, but ends up romantically involved with the bad guy, and then the good guy wins her back. And she's just like, I should have been with you. I should have known he was so bad. And in general, and in this specific case, because I don't think there's anything in the execution or anything it's saying that adds any sort of like redeeming depth for anything. It's just a sexist trope. You know, she just ultimately is a pawn of the story of just 
she exists to highlight the goodness of Klaus and the evilness of her husband and throughout is just this disdainful figure who I don't think is satisfyingly made to deal with her own complicity in any of what's happened to the town in any meaningful way. And when they do the whole plot beat of Klaus coming back to town and it being revealed to her that in fact her husband is evil and Klaus was framed. And when she just does the obligatory, I should have known. I'm just sitting there as the reader like, yes, you should have known. Even if in the context of the narrative, it doesn't really make sense that you didn't know, given how much we get that's just flashback to how you were best friends for your childhood. But you suddenly just flipped a switch and did not question this idea at all. You know, like, it just feels like, it just feels fucking lazy to me, you know? And like, if we're reinventing Santa Claus and therefore sort of, you know, going to be addressing the central ideas of the myth, et cetera, et cetera, and like the auxiliary characters, then I think it is disappointing but also, I guess, sort of horribly fitting that the superhero comic of Mrs. Claus is ultimately just an incredibly flat character who only exists for highlighting how we're supposed to feel about the men in the story. Yeah, I I have to agree with you on all that. And especially, like, it is so weird to me that she never like she doesn't do anything about Magnus I'm like I know that like he's the ruler now because you married him and you were like the last baron's daughter and so he's inherited that but like supposedly the town really liked her before all this like the scenes where she's expecting them to still like her when she goes out into the woods and it's like what do you mean you've let your husband do all of this shit and you know he's doing it <laughs> you know you're not like unaware somehow he doesn't have her enchanted or anything so she's like unable to perceive what's going on around her she knows that everyone in the town is living this really shitty life and being forced to work down in the mines and we specifically get like periodic little scenes where she's either talking to herself or to her son and she just has, like, brief lines of dialogue that are, like, critical of her husband. So it's like, oh, we're getting that evidence that you think he's gone off the deep end. But you're not really acting like you think that, you know? Just, like, in terms of, like you mentioned, her expecting the town to still like her. She just sort of, like she talks about the things he's doing being terrible, but again, has shown no sign of trying to exercise any meaningful opposition to what he's doing, regardless of the loyalty that the town supposedly felt towards her, etc., etc. It's very, like, flimsy talking about how bad things are but not caring enough to actually really keep an eye on it or do anything about it she's not portrayed i think in a bad enough situation where her lack of action feels justified to me like we don't have like it isn't seen to me as though harkonnen had a why am I calling him Harkonnen? This isn't fucking Dune. Jesus. But Baron Magnus, not Baron Harkonnen. Wow. It doesn't seem to me that uh, Magnus has a, like, underarmed guard where, you know, or that, like, everyone is ordered to not listen to her. Or, like, she's the former Baron's daughter. His inheritance of that title comes from her. She has 
a more powerful situation than you know your average woman who is married to the ruler necessarily would in this sort of society and like it's not even implied that the relationship is beyond him i think what he does early on like the baron is like oh your mother's mad and like implies that she's insane which is very strange to me because she just like never acts that way and never seems to think that and no one else ever seems to think that like it doesn't seem like he's gaslit the town into not listening to her because he's like oh she's lost her mind because like everyone in the town knows that baron magnus is awful and so does she she agrees with them yeah, she just, it, it feels like there's things that she could do. Frankly, with all the people that he's forcing to die in the mind, it feels like she could slip something into his drinks. She's got access to him, you know? He's ruining her son. Yeah. And she just doesn't do anything. She's too passive. I, I don't like her. She's too passive. I feel like either she needs to be more obviously victimized in the narrative like, I hate to say it, but this feels like a situation where she should be getting physically attacked by Magnus. Like, I think this needs to be a more visibly abusive relationship in the comic. Like, maybe there is stuff going on, but we don't see it in the book. And, like, I would then maybe get it if she was more afraid of him. But she doesn't seem that afraid of him. And, and there's no reason for us to think that she is for her to be complicit in this level of like cruelty that he's committing and all of this is just so unquestioned that like the fact that klaus gets back with her and like spends the rest of her lifetime in a relationship with her i'm just like that just makes it worse and that she is again just an object to be moved between the men and instead of highlighting that Klaus is the good guy, it makes him seem worse because it's just like, if you are as you inherently are meant to be, as he is meant to be in this story, you know, like the moral center, how the fuck could he stand to be in a relationship with one of the most morally horrible people in this book? You know, like there is no even not even a line that tries to weakly be like and they had to work it out you know like just it's really just not addressed at all she just i guess sees the error of her ways and now the good guy can have his wife until she dies and then he flies off into space i hate her but That's fair. Um, she's she's my least favorite aspect of this book. My yeah. most favorite is Dan Moore's art. With that said, were there any more like specific Dan Mora images you wanted to talk about or just like anything else in the book we didn't already touch on that you want to talk about before we wrap up? What do you think of all of the sort of psychedelic sequences where the forest spirits or um I mean, visually, again, they read more like sci- a sort of sci-fi alien 2001 thing to me. What do you think of those sequences? Where we have all of the insane colors and the the weird different visuals from like the the sort of more high fantasy filtered through like continental like Switzerland area of Europe for the rest of the story. And then we have these sequences where we have the colors go insane and the different style of visuals what do you think of those sequences so i like the spirits themselves and that their design has aspects that read a lot like bone which looks nice and i think is an interesting visual touch to characters who are so you know ethereal i think it's a cool choice to sort of incorporate such a bodily aspect to the design i like that i think that looks cool and then the big eyes also feel very alien which i think is fun 
I like that they're weird and not just like sort of like cutesy little happy elf like things, you know, which I think also helps them feel farther apart from humanity or the wolves or just any of sort of the rest of nature or the rest of this world. So I think the actual spirits designs I do like in like the two page spread when they first show up. I like the sort of choice of angle at which it's presented where it feels like I'm sort of like looking down at them from like a slight height diagonal. It's just sort of like an interesting perspective shot. So that's cool. And also just like really effectively is laid out for leading the eye across the page from like sprite to musical note, etc. But then when we get to like the actual sort of rendering of Klaus with his flutes and sort of what's going on visually in terms of, I guess, just like his vision or whatever he's having, I don't really like those parts of it because the specific color palette with just like the green and the yellow, etc., to me, at least, it instantly makes me think of, like, Acid Trip, which just doesn't feel concordant with what's actually going on. Like, it just feels like, visually, like it evokes something to me that just doesn't feel tonally appropriate. What do you think? I would say that knowing Grant Morrison, this is absolutely meant to replicate, like, an Acid Trip. This is a person who, like, went to Kathmandu, took drugs, and met aliens. Like, I I think the acid trip stuff is very purposeful. I think that its disconcordance with the, like, wintry imagery of the rest of the story is supposed to mean that, like, he's not being turned into Santa Claus on purpose by these things. They're empowering him to presumably fight the Krampus which is the opposite of them. But, like, these things aren't Christmas-themed, and neither is the Krampus. They're not supposed to be Christmas-themed. It's just that he's created this iconography himself through, like, his experiences in the story. I I like the shift in color palette. I love the way that the spirits look in every time they show up, and the fact that they look different each time I think my favorite appearance is uh, towards the end when they appear in shapes reminiscent of that first appearance, but now they're like green and fused with the uh, northern lights, which I also think is an influence on the color is the, um, you know, it, it, the, the color palette with the green and the yellow and the little bit of red looks a lot like the northern lights, which does make sense for someone who winds up living at the North Pole. Which takes it back to the Superman again. Yeah, like, I I think in terms of superheroes, as much as I, like, this is replicating the Batman Begins approach to doing a superhero, but with Santa Claus, the main influence on, like, the way that this clause turns out is the most obvious superhero to pull from for Santa, which is Superman. Because, you know, they both have a base at the North Pole. I know that this Santa winds up with, like, a trophy room. And, you know, like, I think that the way that Superman interacts with children is much more of a, a Santa Claus thing than just about any other superhero. Flying around the world really fast. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, I, I, I really like these sequences, including the sort of the weirder color palette shifts. I also think it really helps it stand out from the rest of the book, because the rest of the book, um, which more are colors, unless I'm very much mistaken based on the credits, has a very distinct color palette. Like, you've got some powerful, like, reds, but then everything else is sort of in, like, these gray to brown tones. And so I think having these sequences be colored this way, making them stand out this much, really enhances their impact visually. And I also like how those colors tie into, eventually, his sleigh design, which... I think the sleigh, like, as much as I agree, I think it maybe would have been cooler if we had reindeer. 
the actual sled itself looks really fucking rad. Like, being like, okay, we need a Christmassy sled, but it has to be interpreted through, like, 50 superhero comics and, like, sci-fi aesthetics, because these aren't really, like, I'm, I think it's fairly clear from context, these are, like, hyper-advanced aliens empowering him. This isn't a magic sleigh, it's, like, technology so advanced it looks like magic, and you get that feel. And the way that the colors and the patterns are represented on the sleigh itself in that, like, golden trim going across it, I think it looks really cool. It's a shame that it debuts halfway through the last issue. I wish we got more of him riding around on the sleigh and that the sleigh actually got to do things. Yeah, I feel like I barely get to see it. Yeah, there's just like the really cool double page spread and then it is sitting in the background for a little while. Uh, we do get the Krampus referring to it as a thought machine, unless I'm very much mistaken. Oh, a bright machine forged of rarest thought metals by the hated elders of my kind. The Krampus is uh extremely like it's 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 new gods. Like this little bit of the Krampus and like the sleigh and stuff, it's very new gods where it's like here's the the Morrison doing that um tech so advanced it looks like magic thing that Kirby did with the new gods. And I think that's also where a lot of the aesthetic of the sleigh comes from, is looking at Kirby's art. And doing just a new take on that, but Christmassy. Yeah. I wish we had more of that. Like, I wish that the point where he's got the sleigh was in issue five and not in issue seven. And we got a bit more of him as a more fully realized Santa Claus. I suppose that's what the specials will be for if we talk about more claws for Christmas next year. It, it's gonna either be that or that one comic where Santa Claus delivers Darkseid a lump of coal. Those are the only Christmas comics I can think of. I mean, there's more. There is a Doctor Who Christmas special comic, which I nearly did, but we've already talked about, like, that run, so it felt very repetitive. Like, it's not even... It's it's still from, like, the Jodie Hauser 13th Doctor stuff, so I'm like, we've already talked about it, really. Uh, I So, you know, this instead. <laughs> So, yeah, that's Klaus. Next week is the week of my birthday. So we're going to be talking about my favorite thing again. We're going to be reading Banana Fish Volume 2. Sweet. Yep. In the meantime, though, thank you all for listening. Merry Christmas. And see you next week. Bye. Bye. Excellent to each other.